Yeah. So first of all, thanks for your, uh, doing this. Um, so I, I've been kind of interested in just your life story to some extent, because I saw like bits and pieces of stuff that you posted on social media, just kind of about like growing up and stuff. And it seemed like kind of wild, you know, I mean, especially probably to me who like, you know, growing up in a Christian conservative household and stuff seemed a little wild. Yeah. We had very different upbringings. That's for sure. <laughs> so I guess first, I'm really curious, just in like, you know, kind of the beginning stages when you're super young, like what was like life like when you first started, you know, coming online with your memory and everything? <sighs> um, so real early on, my dad was in prison. That was one of my early like, bam, pow, hit you in the face kind of moments that I remember vividly. So I had a single mom growing up and she crushed it. She did the best she could. She, uh, you know, she was a custodian for 12 for, well, if, if you were, if you worked at the university, you got free tuition for your kids. And so she worked there long enough for me to get my college education and gave me that. So she was, she was a rock star, but things weren't perfect. And, um, so I was exposed to, a you know, weed was everywhere from the time I can remember. And it was being passed around in the living room as much as, you know, when we would go to parties and most of the time they would pass it to me when we were at home. I remember real young being like, kind of like, why aren't they passing me the doobie? Like they always do it when we're, you know, when we're at home, why, what's up with that mom? And her, then her cluing me in and dare was always a really awkward week for me. (laughs) (laughs) You're the antithesis to that. Yeah, I always kind of was looking at the other kids, kind of wondering what, like, what should I, what should I be looking like right now? What should I be? Uh, what should my facial features be like? Because uh, I know what that looks like. I, that's not good weed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of early on. So, you know, I had my first trip with psychedelics probably in the time I was a freshman, but really got into it like the summer after my freshman year a lot. And so like drugs were everywhere. I mean, and it, you know, it went on to, you know, other things, but really I never got too deep into anything. I, I kind of, I got in trouble when I was 15 for stealing a watch and as weird and as arbitrary as that is, I think that that kind of snapped me into like, Oh shit. If you keep doing this stuff, like, bad things are ahead and i really didn't like i really didn't like that so um i got that memo real quick and i i correct well (laughs) i i corrected the course as much as i had to that was like the theme of me growing up is doing just enough to get by you know what's uh what was the age that you first smoked weed or did any drug you know in general um that's a good question i don't honestly remember because i was too young there's not an age (laughs) where i don't remember getting that that exposure yeah yeah that's usually the watch thing because that that is the type of thing where it's like the first realization that you you could get tied up for whatever you do you know what i mean like because there's always like the illusion i think almost everyone has that you know somehow something wouldn't happen to them like what whatever it is car accident whatever it's like it won't happen to me and then it almost or does happen to you and it clicks like the or flips this switch in your brain that's like oh so this really can happen and like the danger becomes really present in your mind you know so what did you how did you like course correct just stay away from drugs at the time or did you change anything else (laughs) That's a no, honestly, the the truth is honestly the opposite way, Wes, as weird as this is. So here's the funny story, okay? Is that I got caught stealing the watch while I was ineligible for my sophomore year of is that right? No, I got caught stealing it my freshman year, and I was ineligible leading into it my sophomore year so i got i started hanging out with these kids and uh, we got a hook up on some acid pretty consistently really good acid and so 
my summer of psychedelics changed my mind in a lot of ways. So I went from being ineligible for football as a sophomore to coming back as a, for the rest of my high school career, being a scholar athlete. Really? <laughs> I'm not saying one was directly correlating to the other. Drugs are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I think the right kind of drugs with an open mind are good, right? Is that they can, well, they can not be bad. You know, let's put it that way. Let's not put it out there that drugs are good, but. Um, well, I, I remember, how did your brain process those experiences at such a young age? Like, like, which, so how did my brain process the psychedelics? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, like how did it process it? And then how did it change the, like, why did it affect your behavior then to start doing better? So. And we didn't know, I mean, we were just partying, right? You know, we didn't, we weren't doing it with intentions or anything like that. But the easiest way, logic, so much, it created awareness around the things that were kind of obvious, if that makes sense. And so it gave me enhanced amounts of logic. It gave me the ability to see the world in a different way. I guess the easiest way for me to describe it is like, if I had this project in, you know, shop class, okay. Before that summer, I was just looking at the tools that I have on the desk. But after that summer, I realized that there are tools all over the room that I can access. Right. So it kind of got me thinking outside the box in a very literal sense. And that was kind of the way I, I saw it. And I, I felt like it gave me a sixth sense and awareness around energy. I could very easily feel if I was telling a story that ran on and this person checked out. I could very easily tell when I suggest for us to do this thing and somebody isn't quite into the idea. You know what I mean? I became much better at reading the situation and the people in it. Yeah, that's that's were you aware that that's what was happening or did it just kind of happen and now in retrospect you're like, "Oh, that's what it did for me." Or did you think about it at the time? I thought about it at the time. Really? I was aware I was aware of what was happening. I mean, there was one night where me and my friend had kind of this back and forth, almost like a battle of wits. <laughs> and uh and it kind of like clued me into the fact that I've got a I've got a lot going on. I'm I'm a couple steps ahead of some people. You know what I mean? And so um yeah, it, it created an awareness around that and um I'm not saying I was the smartest kid in class, but I did figure school out. And I think that that was the key is that you know, what really does school teach you a whole lot of other than how to figure it out? Yeah, it's kind of like a little, uh, I mean, it is as much as there's like things I don't like about, you know, the public school system of which I do not have much knowledge on, you know, as I was homeschooled, but just of, of like what I know, they're still at the same time, it, like there are these actual benefits of like forcing you to start developing problem solving to at least some extent. And like navigating social situations and stuff like that. Like there is there is value to it, like for sure. So did you just kind of continue that trend then for like the rest of school? Was that just like then you were kind of dialed in to that for the rest of the you know time period? I would not say that I was dialed in. I was a, <laughs> like like every young kid, youth is wasted on the young. And um I remember my high school football coach saying you are the dumbest smart kid I've ever known. And case in point, I took that as a point of pride, you know, because uh, I just had the world right here. And um, I was just pissing it away, you know, just not just just treading water. You know what I mean? I was just going through the motions. Now, I would go and work out really hard after school for two hours and he would always have to kick me out of the weight room. But when I went home, I'd eat a couple of ham and cheese sandwiches and then 
I'd smoke a joint with my mom and my friends would come over and we'd, you know, smoke more <laughs> and keep smoking until everybody had to go to bed, you know, basically. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I was not tuned in, I would say. So I, you know, I was an athlete, but I was never a great athlete. Very just, you know, how could I be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but then, um, yeah, I went into college and, and something changed in college. Uh, I was playing football and still living at home with my mom. Cause like there was this rule with the college that you weren't allowed to live on camp or there's something. <clears throat> and I remember, uh, so I, I, I got my first taste of depression around that time. Um, and I remember quitting school, but not telling anybody about it. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of kept treading water until that happened. And that was like one of the first like big forks in the road where it's like the universe was trying to get me to go this way, but I like burrowed my head this way, you know? Yeah. What was the, uh, what was the reasoning for quitting college? Was it just like feeling bad depression? Like what, what kind of sparked that? Overwhelm. I was playing football. I was struggling with my classes because I had I was struggling with classes because I had signed up for too much in my fall quarter. Like playing football and then I had also signed up for 16 credit hours, one of which was a theater appreciation class where I had to actually be like at the theater helping them with productions. So to say that that's a lot, especially for a kid <clears throat> that wasn't taking college prep classes, right? I wasn't particularly a hard worker. So it hit me right in the mouth. And I did not have the mental resilience to be able to snap back from it. So at that point in time, it really would have been good to have a, somebody to help pull me up but nobody was there. And so I kind of just dug deeper and um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a point where I've, I've looked back on until now, you know what I mean? Even now. And I, I just, uh, it was definitely a turning point. So you, you quit college, you don't tell anyone. Now, what do you do? Cause now everything's open. So my plan was always to play football. I wanted to be a and somewhere there's some version of Adam in the quantum realm that is playing that played football for at least a couple of years. So that was my that was my dream, that was my goal, and so it was kind of just a reframing at that point. So my dumbass I started playing semi-pro football and because the practice, the structure wasn't there, I wasn't training the way I should have and I ended up hurting my knee like the very first year. So instantly I was never the same player again after that. But I, uh, I was selling weed living in a little apartment that I had figured out how to get real cheap rent from because my ex football coach was the landlord. So, you know, I was just sitting there going through the motions until I met my children's mom. And so I was going back and forth from school because I like to buck the statistics, Wes. I like to, I like to buck the trends. So when they told me like, once you quit, you're probably not going to go back. I was like, well, shit, I'm going to do it like two or three times to kind of build this stat up a little bit more. Cause these guys ain't <laughs> being re represented the way that they need to be the single statistic that just shooting it, skyrocketing <laughs> it on up. Yes. Yeah. That's, that was my goal. So I was like uh, a version of, uh, Van Wilder, the career student, right? Going in and out. And I was just going, just signing up for enough classes to, to get the full grants and things like that, that I needed to get. But I ended up working at the bar and, um, and I met um, my ex-wife and she was 
the smartest girl in the prettiest sorority. She was a winner, right? And so she was a way out. And with my head, like any 22-year-old does, I made a, the biggest decision of my life. And I asked her to marry me. And she had just gotten accepted into Cal West Law School in San Diego, California. And so um, about a month after we got married in May of 2007, so it would have been probably the beginning of June, we moved to San Diego for would have been three years. Um, yeah, where I lived out there for a couple of years and ended up having Scarlett out there. But me and Autumn had our issues and, you know, so we ended up moving back to Ohio after three years in San Diego. And that's when we had Grace. And about two years later, we got divorced. So we made it around five years. So then I got divorced, moved back in with my mom, which is every 30 year old man's greatest moment. And, um, yeah, that's when I started coaching though. So that was kind of the kick in the ass I needed to kind of fulfill some of this potential that I was given, you know, cause I had had a good enough reputation in the fitness community built ahead of me that I've never actually had to like submit a resume or like anything like that. People just kind of be like, here's a job. Do you want it? Like, and I'm, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So I've been fortunate. I've been really fortunate with that through the years. So what, that was kind what of the, made you choose coaching. Like, was it, you know, what, what reason? Um, I, I think I've always had a passion for helping people. I've always in college, I coached my best friends um, who had never worked out or anything like that beforehand. And uh, so I took them to the weight room and, you know, it wasn't coaching in the, in the, formal work you know it wasn't coaching in the formal sense but that was my first experience with coaching and it was really fulfilling and at that time i mean this is saying my age right but back that was like the beginning of the biggest loser show and that was kind of when it was relatively healthy still before it became like this if it ever was you know what i mean but i saw people's lives changing and i really wanted to be a part of that i really wanted to help with that, that's, that's always been why I wanted to be a coach. I want to, I want to help people change their lives to create a better future for themselves. And this was a vessel for me to do it. And I was good at fitness. I was good at CrossFit. They hired me into this CrossFit gym and um, I stayed there for four years ish, somewhere around there. And then I, went off on my own doing my own thing just uh, you know i was i fucked everything up about seven different times wes <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and um so i ended up i was working in this factory at this just a it, it was a shitty job i mean it was as far as factories go it was a really shitty version of it and um yeah it all it all and I went back to selling weed. You know, I just went back into the little the little things that could Familiar. make me money. Yeah. Easy. I'm curious what what kept you into fitness? Because you know, there's like it, it's a pretty common thing that like someone who's an athlete for a period of time, you know, they have like that purpose and stuff that comes with playing sports. And then you stop and there's like the stereotype of like getting out of shape, getting fat and stuff like that. What kept you in it? So I enjoyed working out. I thoroughly enjoyed working out. And I like, so rewind a little bit. When I was young, I got beat up a lot. I was a little kid. I got made fun of. I was the wedgie kid in junior high. They tried to give me a swirly at one point. When I started working out, I got strong and people quit making fun of me. So that gave me an identity that I could, it empowered me, you know? And so I like that. I like being the, 
I like being the guy that everybody looks to and they're like, who's the strongest guy in the room? I like that. It's never been a detriment. <laughs> and yeah. so um, my friends, us, like, like I said, my friends in college, we would work out and then we would go play basketball until the, the sports center closed. You know, we were just, active until we moved out to san diego and then you're in california right like everybody's fit there so then i started getting into crossfit and that really lit my that lit my fire why why did that specifically do it for you because it brought back my very first it, it brought because it brought back a competitive edge right competition with myself if not for anybody else and because I could see very quick adaptations that would happen. So I'm in San Diego and I'm at this gym and I get a free training session with the coach. I see this coach and he's a badass. Like this dude was working with like Sean Merriman through his rehab. Like he would work with people all over the spectrum, like no ideal client. He just worked with everybody, badasses included. And I saw he was doing like some next level cool shit. So I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. So I like, trained real hard for a month preparing for this, you know, weight training. And then I'd get on like the bike for 20 minutes and the, the elliptical for 20 minutes. And I finish on the treadmill for 20 minutes, working max heart rate, you know, exercise physiologist. I know, I know how to prepare for this shit. And then he takes me for this training session and he takes me up to a computer and I'm like, dude, we got an hour. Like, what are you doing? Taking me to a computer. He shows me a video of, Two people, Greg Amundsen and Annie Sakamoto. And now this video lives in infamy and in, in CrossFit lore from way back in the day. But um, in the original CrossFit gym, doing Fran 21-15-9 of thrusters and pull-ups. The men are supposed to use 95 pounds. The women are supposed to use 65. This is the RX. It's the most that they're supposed to use. So <clears throat> Danny says, here's your workout. Here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to use the girl's weight. Annie Sakamoto is all of 110 pounds, maybe. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a power lifter. I was like a, you know, I look, I'm a strong dude. My ego's stronger in some instances, <laughs> especially watching this video. When he says, you're going to do the girl's weight and don't think for a second, you're going to keep up with her. I said, <laughs> well, you don't Sounds know me. Accepted. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So long story short, he takes me down to, and this is before bumper plates of CrossFit, right? We had like our 10 pound weights are this big. They're oh, big. Those, yeah. yeah. So he puts those on my bar and I'm like, easy, you know? So I do 21 thrusters, no problem. And then I can, I can do like 11 pull-ups and then the shit show begins. Right. And I'm just going to tell you that it took 11 minutes for me to finish Fran and I puked three times in that 11 minutes, which was a really fulfilling thing because there was a parking garage like that we were on top of. So I puked three floors straight down onto concrete. If if you ever get, you know, long distance puking is where it's at. If you ever happened to be in a parking deck where I got a <laughs> vomit, I got about, you know, you get to watch it just sail through the air down and just, you know, yeah. if you're going to do it, it's, it's, it's not the worst way to do it. There was no wind, no current, you know, nothing's going to blow it back up in my face or anything like that. <laughs> so anyway, um, not very much long, you know, very quickly, I got much better at this. So you, you can learn a whole lot. Wes, you can speak on this. Once you run a trail for the first time and you get a sense for what that trail's like, you know, when to push it, when to kind of, okay, here comes the tough part, right? So literally the next day you can knock minutes off of these workouts just by learning. So, and on top of that, it teaches you how to push yourself. It teaches people hard work in a different way, right? Cause it's for me to tell you to work harder is kind of an asshole thing. Right. But for me to say, okay, you did this in a minute 50 today, let's try to do it in a minute 48 tomorrow, you know, and then you know how to push yourself harder and harder in a relative way without comparison to anyone else, just on your scale. I really liked that. And then I got a group of training partners out there 
that all made it to regionals. Everybody except me made it to regionals and they, they let me know about it. But anyway, um, found some really good training partners and we would, uh, we would write our times on a mirror that was out because this is San Diego. So our gym was outside. We're working out, like getting our son and it was legit. Um, so that was kind of what, and I was good at it because I was strong. So, and CrossFit back then was relatively light. I really liked that. And the high intensity part made me feel like I was at like a football practice. I wasn't just going through the motions. I felt kind of bored with the same old routine day in and day out. And so this gave me something different every day. Uh, we had this guy, Tony, he would, he was a financial planner, but we didn't think he ever actually did any work because he would just come down with all these workouts. And then we'd pick the ones that we'd want to do and, you know, they do it on their, their lunch break. And so we'd try to, if it was a longer one, we might fit two of them in If it was a shorter one. We might get three. We got a lot better, a lot, like pretty quick though. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you get in the CrossFit then and you move then back to Ohio, I'm assuming that, you know, not long after kind of that all starts up. So you keep doing CrossFit then when you get back here. I tried to, but there was nowhere to do CrossFit. Mm. So this is 2010. Nobody was doing CrossFit. They didn't CrossFit have all the, the CrossFit Netflix documentaries and everything <laughs> like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like it is now. Uh, the first one had just came out every second counts, uh, which a guy from Ohio Northern University, Josh Everett, is one of the stars of that uh, documentary. I've actually worked out with Josh. Um, kind of one of my little so i always had it like you know fangirl a little bit you know so when i got when i got to work out with josh i was like oh this, this is really cool <laughs> so but yeah uh came back there was nowhere to really do it so i would do it when i could and i i would I, that's where i like picked up all my home garage gym equipment you know so i was doing it at parks like taking my gymnastic rings and doing them on swing sets and taking chalk and doing pull-ups on fat, you know, <laughs> pull-up monkey, like literally monkey bars or um, the swing sets. If it was like a baby swing set that had like low that you could just jump up and grab it, like really works your grip when you can't wrap your thumb around. Mm. Really, if you yeah. can hold on to that, you can hold on. And so uh, I got used to doing hard shit, you know, and I <laughs> I always felt like, you know, there was a handful of guys over there who were in their climate controlled gyms who were doing their thing. But like the guy who has to take his barbell and his weight and his rings out in 30 degree weather to the local park to do his workout like that's a you don't want to have to go against that you know what i mean nah. ohio <laughs> I, winter crossfit that sounds like the worst thing ever yeah Did you wear gloves like like winter type gloves while you lifted well that's just more resistance between your hands man just more yeah. slippy that's how i always felt my hands aren't particularly big so if i wear gloves it just makes my hands smaller right or the bar wider it's just some and it's like something that can come in between the two that can move what do you think people were thinking that would like walk by drive-bys? They just see this huge jack dude, no gloves, doing wild workouts. Well, keep in mind too, I was probably only 200, 205 at the time. I I stayed around 205 for most of the time I was doing CrossFit. So I've gained a solid 25 pounds since I switched my focus to more of a fusion. And that's what I do with my clients is because I've done powerlifting, weightlifting, uh, CrossFit, and then I've done like the bodybuilding routines. I've never done bodybuilding, but I've done like the routines and shit, right? So I'm familiar with hypertrophy. So like what I do with my programming, what I do with myself and my clients is we blend it all because there's a whole lot of good stuff from all those pieces, but there's also holes in each one of them, you know? So let's take the best parts of them and let's give, give you the best, the best of all the worlds. That's one of the interesting things that you don't realize while it's happening <clears throat> is how all that stuff is like contributing to who you are now. 
you know, we're like, you just kind of get in the CrossFit. You don't think about it. This is cool. And then it like all starts coming together and it's just, you're like, oh, wow. I can see how like all these little pieces have now like played into who I am today. Yeah. Okay, what, uh, at what point then did you move out of your mom's house? Like, or like, what was the transition there? And like, what allowed you to do that? Yeah. So not long after I moved, I was only in her house for about three months or so. And then I, I moved in to an apartment in, in Finley, Ohio. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I love my mom, but when we, and I'm sure like most adults, when we are together for too long, there's friction. (laughs) And so me living with her was not the healthiest thing for our relationship. So as soon as I could, I got my own apartment. And plus I was freshly divorced. You know, I was, I, I was single and ready to mingle. You know, I had my head stuck up my ass still. So I was just, you know, it was, it was best for me to have my own place. Yeah. And that's another thing I was curious about is like, what was going through your mind at that point? Cause it's like, you move, you're divorced and you're, you know, kind of just like back in almost like a square one position. Like, what were you feeling and thinking like then? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was still in a really transitional phase at the time. And like I said, I, I'm positive. My head was still stuck clear up my ass for a couple years after that, even where I was just, uh, being a different version of an asshole than I was before, you know, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until I got, so, you know, I was, um, working at this factory and I was doing the thing and I was just going through the motions. And then I get a call about this lady that opened a gym and she created this gym. And we have a bunch of little communities out here in the middle of the cornfields. She kind of lived right in the center of a few of them and stuck a big old gym, beautiful gym in the middle of it and said, Hey, I need someone to coach classes. Can you do it? So I went out there and gave it a look and started the next week, I feel like. And that's where I met Allie. And um, that was a big shift. Not immediately by any means, but, uh, you know, talk about creating who I am today, uh, meeting Allie in our relationship and everything that followed is a, is a direct result of that moment. Was that so? Was that the like turning point for you starting to become who you are now, or was it like kind of like you know you met Allie and there was like you know a good in between period, and then you started shifting, or was it more of like an immediate thing? There was an in between period, and I mean there was a there was parts of me that the values and things like that that were in there was just clouded. You know what I mean? It was just. So when I met Allie, I tell the story that the very first time I tried to coach Allie, she threw 25 pound dumbbells at my feet and then looked at me like I was little. I was like, holy shit. I'm going to give her some space. (laughs) (laughs) So then, you know, she basically thought I was an asshole for a while. And then eventually she came to one of my classes because the owner would program um, because she was a, I, she was some type of fitness pro. And so she would program most of the classes. And then I got to program this one class that grew and grew and grew. And so eventually Allie came to my class and she saw the differences. Right. And she was like, huh, okay. Maybe he's not just an asshole. Maybe there's something to, you know, maybe he's a little, there's something to him. So then, you know, started to let down her walls and, and it kind of, took even a little bit yet before we really started to see each other. But once we, once she came over to my place, um, we were just, our energies got intertwined and it was hard to separate us ever since. And was that, so what, um, what was it a very intentional change for you 
or was it something that just like as things started like as time went on you just started changing these little things and you know improving this little area type of thing it was non-intentional i was not looking for a relationship i was not looking for any of this <laughs> i was a, i was just going through the motions wes typical adam up until that point right just going through the motions but then i get put into these rooms with these people <laughs> cuz ally is very good friends with and at the time she worked for aaron diamond who for those people that don't know aaron aaron is extremely successful fitness coach now she's transitioned to a a, a fitness coaches coach <laughs> and so um aaron's an all-star right and she by knowing ally puts me in the room with the aaron's that put me in the rooms with the the people like you wes you know eventually would lead us to morphogen nutrition and and us uh in a, in the warehouse you know and sparking up a conversation that leads to this so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't an intentional transition by any means, man, but it was like the doors kept opening. And eventually I started to see them for what they were. And step through them, finally, you know, like, like I said, man, I, I feel like there's this collective energy, right, that has been trying to pull me this way the whole time. And I just, I just kept fucking up and resisting, not seeing my potential. Or seeing my potential and not thinking that I needed to work for it or not, not thinking like, I don't know, youth is wasted on the young. Right. Yeah. But the, the more we step back with perspective, the more we can see those moments for what they are and then hopefully make a better decision in the moments moving forward. Yeah. That's always a catch of like, you know, like the young, like the young, young people in quotes, or even like my younger self is just like, if you could just, you know, do something or focus your your attention on something even just like a little bit it, like you're so young it, it could compound so much by the time you're 25 and 30 but you know most of the time it's like you kind of waste some of that and then at some point you snap out of it and you wake up and some people like you're lucky maybe it's like 25 years 23 and then some people it's like 40 45 50 and then you have to like reconcile that and and start heading in the direction you want and then you know you can get caught in the well it's too late now like i i definitely know people that are in that stage where it's like oh it's too late now and it's just like no you're making the same mistake again you're just doing it again now and it's and when you're 70 you're gonna look back when you were 50 or 40 and be like man it really wasn't too late you know but you wonder because that's like so much a part of their existence at that point do they even realize that they can get out of it they just think that that's reality and that's True. the sad thing you know well i, mean, I just feel like too that's one of the cool things about being a fitness coach is is fitness is a door to start becoming aware of those things it is it, at least for me it was like that's what attracted me to it initially is i started realizing that if I just started applying myself to something, even just a little bit, you start seeing improvements and you start getting better and it starts making you believe in your own potential. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people miss out on who don't engage in some form of fitness is you don't realize your own capacity and your own potential. So I think like being a coach, you can kind of like introduce people to that, at least some of them. Yeah. It becomes easier to wrap your head around a growth mindset. You get actual facts right? That help um, back up that you get these conscious facts that then back up the subconscious that you are good enough for better. You know what I mean? You are capable of better. And like you're saying, like physical work is just one of the easiest ways to really quantify it, to give you these verifiable, this verifiable data that I am not stuck here. You know, that if I just put in the work if i put in this intentional work that i can get better and if i just do a little bit better each day it's cliche as hell but it's so true right the one percent better just do a little bit better each day it doesn't have to be a miracle little things add up 
Yeah, and you know, big things can help too. And <laughs> yeah. that makes me that that makes me want to ask you. So tell me about Suckfest. Suckfest. Suckfest was a good time, uh, despite the name. By the way, don't Google Suckfest if you're out there. I'll, I'll well, Bedros Killian uh, was a speaker at a local, not a local, at a recent mastermind that we went to in Scottsdale, Arizona, that was put on by Aaron Diamond and her husband, Jordan Duggar. And uh, they had amazing speakers, but Bedros Killian was one of them. And he talked about Suckfest. And basically, it was right around, you're supposed to do it right around the winter solstice. There was a specific day that everybody did it, but we didn't, we couldn't get our schedules to mesh. So we did it like a week after, but it's basically the darkest day of the year. You hike from sundown until sunup and uh, you try to just keep going. You try to embrace the suck. And so me and a handful of buddies, Rob, Josh, Jordan, Seth, and a couple of dogs, <laughs> we we set off uh, through the hills of southern Ohio, and um, it was not an easy trek. So Rob has a piece of land down down south, and uh, he had the map. He had the courses outlined with a, you know, we'd go back to his house for the refueling and changing our socks and doing the little things. But uh, it was a challenging course. So we ended up um, covering 28 miles horizontally and a half mile vertically. So it was a good time. There was a point in time after we did about three loops where we were like, can we go a little flatter? (laughs) (laughs) Can we just, Robbie, is there a flatter track that we can go on this time? Because it was funny his house is up like on a hill so no matter how flat the track is you get back to the end and like you got to climb and dude i'm telling you some of these climbs were like quad burning climbs <laughs> and i i was in red wings that i haven't wore since i you know landscape four years ago or something like that and uh yeah it was a great time though man i mean uh re- i really wanted 30 miles and I think that uh, the weather was great. We should have got, there's no reason why we shouldn't have got 30 miles. Next year, we will get 30 miles. I will I will at least get 30 miles, even if everybody else is, uh, I got to drag them with me. But uh, the weather was great. At one point in time, I'm walking around in just a pair of like sweatpants, no shirt, hydration pack. And I like to wear these like three quarter joggers. So they're not full sweatpants. They're kind of like, a hybrid in between. Yeah. You know, kind of get a little bit of lower calf showing, you know? Yeah. Yep. What do you feel like you got from that experience? I enjoyed the brotherhood um, of, of having the guys together and us feeding off of positive energy. Cause there were some of the guys there that were struggling more than others. And um, I just really admired how they dug deep and didn't like, I'm sure Seth don't mind me saying that like he didn't, he didn't baby powder up early enough. So his balls were on fire for like the last six miles, six of the longest miles of Seth's life. I'm sure. And this guy longest. (laughs) And this guy waddled through the whole thing, like a champion, like never saying a word about it. You know, and I think that whenever you got a group of guys or, or girls, whatever, doing that, there needs to be that, right? Is that if there was somebody there talking about how much it sucked, they're probably not going to get invited back next year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so to have like no one, because you can be in a great mental space, but if one person starts saying something, everybody's on the same wavelength, which is we're not, we don't want to be here. We don't like what's going on. Yeah. Once one person checks out, it becomes real easy for the next one to do it and the next one to do it. <clears throat> but weather was great. Um, we're talking about changing the venue next year a little bit. So uh, and I know we've uh, we've invited you to to join us in the suck fest. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll do something in the meantime, too. The the thing that uh, brought us together in conversation, I was wearing a David Goggins four by four by forty four t-shirt 
that's coming up here within the next couple months. Yeah, that's so, March, I think. Yeah, pretty sure it's like mid March. It's right around my birthday. It'd be a good time to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, be a time. yeah, um, but I'm sure, and I know that uh, our mutual friend Chris has talked about doing one sooner than later as well. So, yeah, because he couldn't make it to this one, and uh, I know he wanted to. So, so I guess, um, I guess I think we kind of covered kind of the main stuff that I was interested in and it did not disappoint at all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and if anyone wants to find you on social media, where can they find you? Um, Facebook, I'm Adam Manley, M-A-N-L-E-Y. And on Instagram, I recently changed it. I am the jacked hippie. All one word. Yeah. That came, uh, that came at the mastermind in Scottsdale. It was, uh, at a goblin party after the festivities had calmed down and a bunch of successful people doing psychedelics in a, in a closed environment. And, <laughs> and this guy, I, my fitness business is super manly fitness. And he said, you know, when I hear super manly, I think of like a, a bro dude. He's like, and you're not a bro dude. You're, you're a jacked hippie. And I was like, it was like something like, you know, the energy in the room cleared out in that moment. You know, it was like a, whoa. And um, yeah, so it just felt natural. It felt in alignment with the vibe I'm I'm going these days is that, uh, you know, it's not just about the physical journey. It's about mind, body, and spirit and this synergistic um, coming together of all these things. And I think that that's what, you know, my fitness, we're, we're getting ready to rebrand it. I'm working on the name right mm-hmm. now. Cause I, I'm the full I, I switch. Yeah. Because it's, it's turning into something much bigger than it was because as I'm having this awakening, I'm helping my clients have their own versions. You know, I'm helping them. I'm asking them the right questions that get them to think about the right things that help them realize that they are deserving of success. You know, you deserve to win. You deserve to lose this 10 pounds. You deserve to have it. So many people self-sabotage when they get so close to this shit. And it's like, you're capable, you're deserving, you know, and it's all the lessons that I'm being taught that I'm learning. I am trying to further ingrain by just fully pushing it out. You know what I mean? Just trying to live in it as much as I can. And seeing where it takes me. And ever since Lost Lands in September, and specifically since Halloween, you know? Um, oh, yeah. There has been just this immense amount of love in my heart that's just bursting. And I can't stop it. And I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it is the fucking best. But yeah, yeah man. And, uh, so that's that's where things are going right now. I'm excited about it, and I'm, yeah, hopeful. Yeah, I guess the the last question I have is, what is the single most impactful experience of your life? So, very good question. Thinking about it, it's really hard to pinpoint one moment that has been. But if you can give me two, I'll two, give you two. two would be uh, number one. And I guess this is technically even three because my kids, the birth of my kids, man, because my kids give me purpose, right? They are, uh, they're the reason why I wanted to be super manly, you know, because they look at me like I, I can do anything and I'll be damned if I'm going to disappoint them. You know what I mean? And so. That was number one, is that that helped me just be my best self or, you know, try my best in most of these situations uh, rather than just treading water, you know? Yeah. And then number two is Allie, meeting Allie and the whirlwind that has been getting to know her and, and move through this beautiful life with her and grow with her and evolve with her. And, um, just looking forward to this next step with her. And I feel something big's 
on the horizon. I don't know what it is. And I, but I, I feel it coming, man. And uh, yeah, those are, those are the two biggest things because they're my, they're my beacons, you know, is that when it's at its darkest, those are my three lights. They guide me. And uh, I think, I thank God for them. I, I think, yeah, I owe, I owe my whole world to those girls. Yep. Oh, you're going to make me get emotional. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. that, that oh, is, it's good. No, that's beautiful. And, you know, I guess I just end too by saying that I appreciate you a lot. It's been awesome to like meet you and Allie and hang out with you guys. Like I, I've loved both of you. Um, and already, it's, yeah, I don't know. You guys are awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope we can hang out again soon sometime, but I love you too, brother. Uh, I saw you did the ice bath today. Did, How was yeah. That? Uh, it, it was good. It was good. I allowed myself, I was, I, I didn't go in with like a defined time. Like I'll just go in for a while. It, well, yeah. it had to be more than what Megan did. So that was, that was a set. She did a minute. <laughs> yeah. but I have to at least do more than her. That's at least the rule. And, and when I hit a minute I, in my mind, I was like, I'll just get out at a minute 30. I just decided at that point yeah. when I hit a minute 30, I got out, but I could have, I could have stayed in yeah. longer. You were uh, just getting out of the really tough part. You were just, I, it actually, of- it did get better. It, it was better. It was like the first 30 seconds were hard. Then the next minute really wasn't as bad. So three, I, I'm probably going in tomorrow, I would guess. So I, I'm going to film that too. And I will hit three minutes. There you go. There you go. Especially since Kristen's talking shit. So like, okay, Kristen, you know, we're going to um, you know, use that as motivation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's right. We're pulling each other up, right? Exactly. Sometimes through <laughs> shit talking, encouragement, love, it's all the above. It's a full package. Encouragement comes in many different forms, right? Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. That's good. We've been doing the, the ice baths for a while now and we, we love it. And uh, uh, that guy will send you free plans um, if you follow that. Yeah, I, he has a legit setup. Yeah. Well, I love you, brother. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, dude, you're amazing. You and Megan are awesome. If you ever uh, let come and we're gonna be in Columbus this weekend. I don't know what you're doing, but uh, Saturday night. Come on down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I'm working Saturday, um, but I'm hoping not. Not this weekend or the next weekend, but the one after that, I should be able to come down. That is my tentative plan as of right now, whatever whatever yeah. date that ends up being. Yeah. Yep. So I'll hit I'll hit you guys up though. Um, hit everyone up and kind of see how plans coordinate. Thanks, brother. Sounds good, man. Hell yeah. This was the best. All right. I will talk to you later. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good one.